Yo, yo, what it is. Welcome to yet another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, they call him the Cobb Father, my good friend and yours, Dieter Reno, numero uno, the dude. What's up, man? I don't know. I'm not sure if you're mocking me or honoring me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely a mix of both, I would say. Yeah, yeah. The one and only. That's no right. other out there. I'm the just only. I'm just I'm just another dude. Oh please. You're the dude. That's, that's that's why I cling to that moniker. No, the no, I'm not the. I'm just dude. <laughs> Just a dude that likes his music, likes his football, likes his wife, likes his booze. Mm-hmm. What more can a dude ask for, really? I know. That's America, man. <laughs> well, speaking of which, we have uh, three out of our four album selections today are very American, I would say. Yes. Two out of the four are American bands. <laughs> oh, correct. Correct. Yeah. So, we, uh, we, we, as always, we're doing two new releases newer releases, and then to Old Dogs, which are older albums that we love and love to talk about. Uh, so for the new albums, we're doing Dylan Carmichael. He's got some hot beer for us. Mm, and, uh, tasty. Can't wait for that <laughs> and, refreshing and, drink. And, and, <laughs> oh, yeah. Ad nauseum, Imperative Imperceptible Impulse. Say that five times fast. Imperative imperceptible impulse. Imperative imperceptible impulse. Imperative imperceptible impulse. Imperative yeah. imperceptible impulse. I can do it. I can go on and on, man. <laughs> For the old dogs, going way back to 1987, and uh, Irish band U2, and uh, arguably their most classic album, I believe. I would, in my opinion, it's Joshua Tree, and. Uh, a garage rock band from the early 2000s. Uh, I would say arguably the most successful of those, uh, the White Stripes and their record Elephants. So, oh, yeah. Very excited well, uh, to talk about those. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what you think of these records once you've listened to the show and tell us what you're listening to. Email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 585-210-2454. All right. Without any further ado, let's jump into our first new release recommendation. All right. So we're kicking it off with Dylan Carmichael and his, what I would say is an EP, because it's only six songs and it's about 20-something minutes long. So I wish it was an LP. But his EP, Hot Beer, we'll get into what that means in a little bit. Let's uh, kick it off with Sawing Logs. Well, for a few more bucks, I could really improve my love. About to heat this cold night up and get to making all kinds of love. I got this hickory bundle and this fancy box of wine. Done went through all kinds of trouble just to get home and find her passed out on the couch, buzzing like an old chainsaw. This ain't good. I've got. All right, so that's Dylan Carmichael with Sawing Logs from the Hot Beer EP. And uh, it's an interesting little summertime country uh, EP. Six songs, Kentucky singer-songwriter Dylan Carmichael, who did contribute some lyrics to that Travis Tritt album that we talked about 
a few weeks ago that our dear friend Andy did not care oh, for yeah. too much. So is that how you came came to this record through way of Travis Tripp? No, I uh, it was way of Dave Cobb. He oh, of course 2018. <laughs> Wait, I don't think he's mentioned on this record. He's got him in there somehow. <laughs> 2018, Dylan Carmichael had his debut album produced by Dave Cobb, and I liked it. It was it was good. It was like, okay, I'd like to hear more from him. It just didn't make the show, but I enjoyed it. Then in 2020, I believe, he had or an EP come out, and it had a song I really liked. It was 99 Problems, But a Fish Ain't One. It was about all the shit going on in his life, and he's got all these problems, but fishing is the one thing that keeps him happy, right? And I just thought it was clever, you know? And very country, very country. You know, you you use the tropes. You know, you use the yeah the, the culture things the, that the, that keeps the culture. Yeah, that keeps the the fans united. Right, the stuff that they that people enjoy, and it's part of the country tradition: fishing, hunting. Yeah, I mean, all those Jay Z fans who are into country music, I'm sure will appreciate that. But. I thought it was a great nod to cross-cultural, like people like all kinds of music. So, okay. you know, Fair so th- that that got me like, hey, there's some funny, clever stuff going on here with Dylan too. And when this came out, Hot Beer, I was really excited. He's got a lot of the things I like about the neo-traditional country, but it also checks a lot of the boxes of what makes pop country. And so it, it leans in there. It's kind of in this middle ground, which I really like because then that means that people, other people will hear it. It's not just some independent country thing no one will ever hear. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, my thought is that this was going to be a and is going to hate it. moment. <laughs> I had a feeling Andy, you might be me. hearing that clip today. <laughs> was it and andy's gonna hate it country uh album well i think it was more of a mixed bag i I wouldn't say hate for this one he has a lot of charm and personality in the lyrics it's pretty got a good sense of humor like you were saying uh there's a couple songs that are almost laugh out loud funny the one you played i think Mm -hmm. is being the most so sound logs yeah yeah, let's talk about saw and logs a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear what the message is. The yeah, like so. So they've been they've been they've been spending time with this lady. Yeah, she got she finished her first bought a box, you know, because oh, you she's already a box those, in. Yeah. All right, I didn't yeah, yeah. I explained. So a box more. of wine in. They've had a box of wine. They're having a nice time, and he goes runs to the store to get another box of wine. The thing going on is he and then he sees that they're selling logs, hickory a hickory bundle. Oh right, hickory logs. Yes. And he's like, oh, I'll spend a few extra bucks, you know, make this even more romantic, increase my chances of having, <laughs> uh, you know, getting lucky this evening. And uh-huh. then he gets back and. He's got wood, but she's passed out on the couch snoring. Right. And then he talks about how he's kind of walking around the room hoping she'll wake up, you know? Yeah, Clearing his throat, making <laughs> yeah. some noises. <laughs> Box of wine's pretty hard to recover from, man. <laughs> but the uh, well, yeah. the wordplay there with the, you know, he's got wood, she's on logs. Kind of funny. I think we've all been in a situation at some point in our lives, whether you were the one sleeping or you were the one. Right. With the yep. wood. Uh, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's cute. I think that's what I, why I gravitate towards some country music is because it feels like more of those real life moments are called out mm. than, yeah. than in a lot of other music genres right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy feeling like I belong to the 
world. Like I'm part of what everyone else is doing. And especially with all this, you know, working from home and remote stuff that people have been doing, it feels good to belong. <laughs> you know, when you hear stuff you can yeah, relate to. Yeah, can relate to it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the song that I felt the most connection to or spoke to me the most was third song, Lucky Man. Yeah, that was great. It's basically a song about where he's like, don't take your blessings for granted and kind of appreciate mm-hmm. what you have around you, which I've, you know, that, I've heard that sentiment a thousand times and just in music in general. But something about the way he says it, the way the song starts off, he sounds very down on himself and then he kind of comes around when he realizes this simple truth. And it really did speak to me. Like, I, I don't know if I was just feeling a little down when I heard it the first time or something, but it did kind of like help reorientate my perspective a bit. Nice. And I, nice. I got, so that was like, oh, you know, that was worth listening to, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that was originally a Montgomery Gentry song. That's a country group. Uh, Dylan's uncle was a part of that that band. So maybe it also has some, some extra um, sentimental value for him. Uh, yeah. I imagine he was a little kid when that was out. But yeah, I mean, the, the lucky man, the way that it's drawn out with just the, the everyday sort of stuff. Yeah. Really good song, and it, I do wish this was a full LP. Even if it was, it, all it would need is two more tracks, and they could, you know? Yeah, there's, there's a fair amount of material here. It wouldn't have been that hard to stretch it out a bit. There were a handful of songs I didn't love as much, mostly because of their style, musical style. Like, yes. uh, Big Truck in particular has kind of right. like a honky-tonk vibe, right? Which yep. I, I can't get down with that sound in general. I have a hard time with yep. it. Uh, hot, let's get into hot beer, right? Hot beer is a breakup song. Yeah, hates his ex. She wants him back, and he lists all the unpleasant things that he'd rather do, right. including having a hot beer, which is great because it twists that whole country music um, stereotype. You know, so many songs about suds, cold beers, all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. taking that and then flipping, say, okay, we love our cold beers. We hate hot beer, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> so I I think that has that same sort of saw and logs, clever, funny. Yeah, it's got a good sense of humor. I think it's fun, light. The guy's got a good voice, a little twangy at times, but mm-hmm. I think it checks all the boxes for a fun summer country record with some, a couple heartfelt moments and then some fun stuff in between. And it is really quick. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, kind of fast and loose and it can be a good time if you're if you're open minded to this kind of music so i think uh it's a cool pick man i'll keep on keep an eye on mr carmichael there cool i'm glad you didn't hate it <laughs> sorry to disappoint you <laughs> <laughs> what you got all right man it's going totally different as we usually do on the show talking about an album that came out back in february of this year by a death metal group by the name of Ad Nauseam. The album is entitled Imperative Imperceptible Impulse. As we mentioned earlier, they are a Italian four-piece uh, metal group. This is their second full-length. Uh, they're known for their extreme attention to detail, in both in the composition and recording of their music. Both of the records have been self-produced uh, using self-made and vintage equipment. They seem to, imp- to me, from what I read about their, on their Bandcamp page and Wikipedia page, they really focus on the details. We are going to play the last cut on this very ambitious record. This is a little taste of 
human interface to know God. So that's a little taste of ad nauseum on their record. Imperative, imperceptible impulse. That's probably the catchiest part of the entire record right there, I would say. If I had to take a, a little snippet. Uh, it's a very, very challenging <laughs> oh, <God>. album. <laughs> it's extremely dense. And yes. I'm I've been listening to it for like four months, pretty much straight. And I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it. And fortunately, uh, for those of you that aren't interested it's really hard to find <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> uh yes you can stream it on their band camp page for free you can also purchase it there cookie starts with c let's think about we got a we got a bit of a cookie monster situation going on there uh at yes. times as yes, well yes we do we got the cookie monster yeah it's there you can't can't escape it is it in English? Yes, it is, for the most part. Okay. A lot of the song titles and some of the lyrics are Latin. Hard to understand, even as I read along. I had a hard time kind of placing where he, what he was saying with the, the song sheets. But it doesn't really matter, because I think the, what makes this record so interesting is the uh, the composition and the just extreme technical prowess that the band displays here. Over the record, it's fairly long. It's almost an hour long, I believe. Each track is somewhere in the eight minute mark up to like 12 minutes or so. Really yeah. uh, complex and almost like daring you to listen to this, <laughs> I would say. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, sonically, instrumentally, there are some really interesting things going on and some good moments. It actually, it's kind of noise rock at, at times. It, the, the metal comes more from the vocal. Hmm. Than the music. Mm -hmm. If you isolate the music, it's more like noise rock to me. Yeah, maybe you say more like jazz than noise. There's definitely some structure. Maybe it's a little bit more loose than a regular metal record would be in the way that jazz could be more of a like improvised. But I don't think it's just random sounds in the way that I would expect a noise record to be. Yeah. Well, uh, so I think initially I was really on the fence with this record, whether or not I could even stomach it, let alone appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> just say it aloud for me, because I enjoy wow. the genre. No. Okay, that's just funny. It's like, hey, everyone, album nerds, we're recommending these albums that I could barely stomach. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was back in February when this came out, mm. and I've slowly built up a tolerance, tolerance. maybe even a taste for it. <laughs> yes. I really, I See, do enjoy now it. That's that's dedication, people. That's <laughs> man. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Jeez, <laughs> you really you hung with it that long. Went from hating it to featuring it on the show. Well, well done. I knew there was something to it. There's, there's def- it's it's interesting at its core. It feels kind of like a puzzle, like a a very complicated crossword puzzle you're trying to solve. You know. I don't know if I really have it figured out completely yet, but the more I dig into it, the more interesting I, I find it to be. But lyrically, it's really interesting lyrically. I, it's so dense. The music is so dense and the lyrics are very dense and 
obtuse and hard to wrap your head around. But some of the themes they discuss, kind of like the first song here, subspecie entertainius, it's a Latin phrase, basically means what is universally accepted as truth. And it really does explore that idea in, in surprising depth and thoughtfulness in the lyrics. If you, there's no way you could ever understand them, in my opinion. I know some people seem to kind of get the death metal lyrics without having to read along. I am not one of those people. But when I read it, read through them, I really did find a lot more appreciation for what was going on here lyrically. The other really notable thing I would mention is the quality of the recording is exceptional and very unique for the genre. Uh, everything here is very clear and distinct. You can hear all the instruments throughout the entire record. Yeah, I, you know, it's not, not an easy record by any means. It's the exact opposite of the Dylan Carmichael record in terms of accessibility. But like I was saying, I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. And if you're willing to give it the time, I think it's a really rewarding listen. It can be pretty cool. So I don't know. I didn't really, what was your general impression? Man? I know commented a little bit. The stuff they were doing instrumentally, it was enough to carry me through the <laughs> stuff that I didn't understand the yeah. lyrics to. But it wasn't one of the plagues of this genre typically for me is that it is same, same, samey, same, samey, same, same. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't. I mean, the way I can verify that is the way I was listening to this, because it's hard to to find was on YouTube. Okay. As one track. It was oh, like right. one one video, right? So I didn't know track to track to track, but I did because I could hear it. Cool. And the fact that I could hear it when it was glommed into one thing is pretty amazing <laughs> for this genre in that particular. Is, so that's pretty cool. I have to give them that at the very least. Is this something I'll be sitting around listening to? No. But it was good. It was cool. Yeah, it's definitely not like background music or, you know, I can't imagine playing this song in a room and getting any sort of positive. Well, that's, that's what I, but well, but what's the alternative? I mean, what are you going to, are you going to spend over an hour with this just blasting in your headphones while you do nothing else? Yeah. Oh, that, that I couldn't do. <laughs> not, not for me. It, it, this, I listened to it a ton of times, but it was, mostly while doing other things. I think this is probably one of the most interesting records that come out this year so far. Uh, definitely not for everybody, but they packed a lot of ideas. They haven't put a record out in six years, and you can tell they spent a lot of time and energy into capturing and recording this one. But yeah, so that is Ad Nauseum, Imperative, Imperceptible Impulse. If you're up for a challenge, uh, I think it's a worthy uh listen word up yo shall we yeah let's do it some old dog all right yos it's time to talk about another album from 1987 we did two last time 87 who knew that was a good year dude there's so many there's so many i there's more to come there's more 87 (laughs) albums to come okay so anyway we're going with you two the joshua tree we're going to play a little bit of Bullet the Blue Sky. Comes 
All right, so that was Bullet the Blue Sky from the Joshua Tree. U2's Irish rock band from Dublin formed in 1976. Like, they were high school lads. We got Bono, of course, The Edge, Adam Clayton, and Larry Mullen Jr. It's their fifth studio album, produced by Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno, and released on March 9th, 1987 on Island Records. I remember when this came out. Do you remember when this came out? You probably were. I've heard stories about this coming out, though. No, I was too young to really be aware of it. Yeah, so um, you two had been around for a while. Obviously, this is their fifth album. Uh, Unforgettable Fire was their 1984 release. So that kind of timed with Live Aid, you know, uh, USA for Africa. So there was just this thing going on in the 80s where where rock musicians and pop artists were coming together to try and do things to help the world because they had this power to do it. You two really, that was kind of who they had become. They started as sort of like a post-punk sort of thing. And as time went on, very political in Mm -hmm. their lyrics. This particular album was inspired by American experiences, literature, politics, and you two chose America as the theme for the record. Uh, They had spent time here after Live Aid and all that stuff. They met a lot of people, Bob Dylan, etc., and started to bring new influences in, some blues influences, American music influences, and you can hear it in this album. Have you, You've listened to it before this, right? Like as a whole? Yes. Yes, I have. And? Think it's boring? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say it was boring. I think um, in general, in general, I, I think listening to this record made me really appreciate how artistic Bono at least was. I'm not sure if it's still at this caliber anymore but his lyrics and vocal performance on this record i think is primo top-notch really Mm -hmm. fantastic the rest of what's going on i think is where i might have more issue with or at least for me it wasn't as interesting yeah is it the music that you don't think is grand enough um yeah i don't think it really adds very much um i think these songs would almost be as interesting acapella as they are with the band (laughs) Okay, the the album cover is uh, the the band, and there's a Joshua tree in the desert, and all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a sparseness to the pictures they're painting, and I think that the music matches. If it was overwhelming, mm-hmm. like when when this album came out, they became the biggest band in the world. And when I first heard this tape, the cassette was what I had originally. Okay. I was listening to it with my dad, and we both were just. We, I don't remember saying a word during the album. Like you were awestruck. Yes, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. It it had the way the edge plays the guitar, the way the rhythm section works, the the way that Bono does that that quiet, loud sort of thing, but in a way where his voice fades off. You know, like it was so emotional and. It felt like the album cover, like you're standing in this desert, just taking in some of the good and some of the bad, the bleakness of uh, of this American painting where there's the there's two sides. There's the perfect, hey, American dream, and then there's the political stuff going on, the Reagan era, and a lot of that comes through, particularly on Bullet the Blue Sky. Yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of the 
what that song's about in general, right? Yeah. Where you can hear a- anger. Right. You know? Right. Weirdly enough, that is the one song that I think has the most sort of bite and uh, mm-hmm. gr- gr- gruffness to it and most uh, visceral quality to it. Because um, that guitar does have a little bit of distortion. It does kind of make some points of its own, Makes I guess. some noise. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't hear much elsewhere, else on the record like that. Well, there are, there, there are some of the same types of stories and messages um, in God's country. That's one. Of, that was always one of my favorites. It just felt like a story of driving on a road through America, you know, mm-hmm. and observing the things going on. And a lot of these songs do just that. And I think that's what connected it. For so much for me, like it, had, it was like nothing I ever heard before because of their style. This mix of heartfelt, angsty vocal, and then this sort of sparse, very unique sounds that became mm-hmm. the signature of what U two sounds like. And this album from nineteen eighty seven does not sound like eighties music. No, it doesn't. That's true. It has a unique sound still. It stands alone, and that's I think something that needs to that's why it's still is something i listen to so regularly with or without you is one of the greatest songs of all time i yeah that's probably my favorite on here that's that's awesome i I don't even know what it is about it but it works it's the sound dude (laughs) like there's something like so simple right yeah i mean the 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 emotions are right there in the very simple bass and guitar mm-hmm. you it sets the stage for for bono's lyrics his interesting way of of uh phrasing things yeah that are that like just sort of pluck those heartstrings the it was just a i thought a perfect mix of what they were doing sonically before this which was much more post-punk uh that had some talking headsy sort of stuff going on, more like that that uh, that sound. And I don't know what they did here. This mix of American rock influences and stuff, just for me, about as good as it gets. Why don't we listen to one more song for a couple of seconds? Let's do "Running to Stand Still." Uh, that was running to stand still that was specifically about a heroin addicted couple living in the rundown high rises of dublin's north side and uh at the time of this album being at its peak like they they were on the cover of time magazine and time singled out that track for its trance-like melody that insinuates itself into your dreams those <laughs> are the quotes from there and this one always i didn't really quite grasp exactly what it was about like heroin addiction but at the time i just knew it was about people's lives being ruined yeah and 
this was pop music, pop rock, and I didn't hear a lot of that in that world at the time. So yeah, there was, yeah, you it's, know, it's really, um, I think as a whole, a fairly dark album. Like it, all the topics it deals with are all, for the most part, um, pretty terrible things that are happening, whether they're like wars or drug abuse or you know love, love scorn type situations. Uh, it does. It feels like it feels like kind of like kind of like you are alone in the desert a little bit, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's a real dark quality for music that is so, I guess, accepted into our culture. Like I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of these songs, like you would just not even think twice if you heard a song like this on the radio or out in the world somewhere. But when you do dig into them, there's a much darker message. Well, aren't aren't we lucky that something slipped through the cracks like this that was about more right but everybody liked it and <laughs> and everybody liked it and everyone still likes it and these songs are the landscape of everywhere you go you know like especially with or without you and and uh, i still haven't found what i'm looking for that gospel sort of sound behind it mm-hmm. that is a very like that's just part of the tapestry of american culture so these guys went making an uh, irish band making an album about america and their view of it right yeah. so they got to know That's it by touring america they learned to love america for the things that you love and they dislike other things about foreign policy and stuff that was going on so that's all in there and now it is part of the american tapestry yeah by an irish band i think that's very interesting that's pretty cool man that's pretty cool so i i beg you if you haven't listened to this album you're familiar with you two everyone knows them octung whatever Go check this out. Go check out the Joshua Tree. Think about its place and time, when it when it was released, and how still nothing sounds like this after all these years. So go check it out. Well, that's cool, man. I'm glad to dig into it a bit more. It was I did appreciate it more than I I did kind of from what I've heard on the radio. So what do you got, my friend? All right, let's fast forward about 25 years to the year 2003. And the White Stripes, and they put out the record Elephant. It's their fourth studio album for the Detroit, Michigan duo of Jack and Meg White. Uh, so it's the follow up to their, I guess their big commercial breakthrough of, uh, uh, White Blood Cells. Uh, it was recorded using an eight track recorder, uh, as well as all pre 1960s recording gear and instrumentation. Famously did not use any sort of digital computing power on this record. And it sounds like it, I would say. It has a very warm, sort of rough and ragged sound to it. Um, they largely stick with the same genres as before. It's got garage rock, blues, elements of punk rock scattered in here as well. Let's jump right in and play the second cuts. This is a little taste of Black Map. bit of that early 2000s fuzz there were you into that sound man at the time at the time i was but i was not into this band 
<laughs> We've talked about a few other brands from this time period as of late on the show. So I thought it would be yes. interesting to bring these guys up because they were, I don't know, in my mind, like they were kind of like at least the most um, popular of the groups, had the most success. Um, yeah, they had the most long-term success for sure. So why why were you not as into them as some of the other guys we've mentioned? Um, Like two people with weird black hair that are kind of and they're pale and they're related or they're not related they're married or they're brother and sister and i'm like eh, i don't have time for like it felt like a record industry like they created this like you know, oh yeah yeah why not just be jack white and meg smith right like why and just have a band name called the white stripes why even bring it up i'm sure in hindsight they wish they had not <laughs> <laughs> i wish they had it because it takes away from what's very uh, interesting record here. I, they, the whole discography is is excellent in my opinion. Um, but I think this record is really kind of the culmination of their powers. It has a good sort of scope variety of their sounds displayed here. Uh, Black Math is a little bit more straightforward garage rock. But the story he's telling lyrically, Jack is telling lyrically about this idea of him... Supposedly, it's a true story where one of his grade school teachers, he went in and just at the beginning of class, handed back all of his books to the teacher and told her that he refused to learn from her anymore and was just going to go out on his own and teach himself things from the world. And just, you know, like, it's a very Jack White sort of like mythic quality to that song, which I always found appealing. Same with Seven Nation Army, that big, bold, brash um, drum intro there, which I'm sure everyone's heard a thousand times, um, and sort of those bombastic statements about, you know, his ambition and nothing's going to be able to hold him back and just sort of like these grandiose statements where you really feel like this is like a larger-than-life characters that we're talking about here. Uh, and the whole album has that kind of like theatrical quality to it, I think. So the record starts out pretty fast and hard with Seven Nation Army and, and uh, Black Math there, and then dips into a section with, with some more quiet reserve songs where they kind of strip away some of that fuzz and get into some more intimate moments. Um, there's a track in the cold, cold night, which I believe is really the only white stripe song where we hear uh, Meg in front of the microphone performing the vocals on that song. What did you think of that one in particular, man? It's always, it stands out sonically very much in the rest of the record. Uh, it just sounded like something from nightmare before Christmas or something to me, you know, like, like a <laughs> Tim Burton like, kind of vibe. Yeah. I, th I think you're kind of right. I never made that connection before, but there is kind of that, I don't know, sort of like outsider, sort of quirky. Especially when she when she talked very little, was really just the drummer, right. except for moments like this where it's kind of like sing-songy and you're like, are you going to murder me <laughs> in my sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, there's this whole theme across the record. I don't know if you picked up on this. Even on that song there, which the song is generally about this, you know, woman in bed at night and a man comes to visit her and it sounds very sweet and innocent. But by the end of it, you kind of get the sense that maybe she's manipulating him and, and kind of willing him to come into her bed every night. Uh, there's a whole theme across the record here. It's song like, I've got you, I got her in your pocket where he's talking about a relationship that he kind of likes to control and manipulate the woman to kind of 
you know, be loyal to him. And there's another song on here, Hypnotize, which is about the exact same thing. There's a song which we're actually going to play. I'm going to play a clip of uh, The Ear in My Fingers here, which is about Hitchcock movie Psycho, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, that famous shower scene. The song's about the Norman Bates character. Uh, we're going to play a little clip of that now, in which he's talking about his, his mother and uh, how she manipulated him. Uh, into becoming this sort of psycho. Let's play a little bit of the air near my finger. She's really got me staring at all the crazy little things she does for sure. And I can't seem to think of another kind of love that a boy could ever get from them. That one but So that's like, in my mind, it's like a prototypical White Stripes song. Like, it has all those elements you'd expect from them. Uh, it's about something kind of abstract, you know, in this movie that they're referencing. Uh, it's got the, the bouncy keyboards there and the bluesy guitar. But then there's also songs on here like Hardest Button to Button and Ball and Biscuit, which are like big, loud, bluesy, uh, super distorted rock and roll songs. What do you think about those, man? Those are my two favorites on the album. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But yeah, I think that, especially the um, Ball and Biscuit, which kind of like comes out of that slower section of the record here with a, a pretty mm-hmm. loud uh, It's much there. appreciated. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Jimi Hendrix moments. It's totally appreciated after that. His guitar solo on that, I think, is fantastic. I, I almost wish there was more of that in their subsequent records. Um so I think it's just great. I think, I know, if you hear any of their live performances, they do jam a bit more like that. Um, but I think it's welcome here. And then he has some, some funny lighter moments too, especially towards the end of the record. There's the track, uh, Little Acorns, which features like kind of a spoken word section about a squirrel, you know, putting away nuts for the winter. Yeah, that was weird. You didn't care for that as much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the hardest button to button is fun to just say. So that song was fun. <laughs> yeah. Because it is it is funny that, you know, a button is a thing, but a button is an action also. So it's true. Noun it's true. and verb. <laughs> it's clever that way. <laughs> but even that song, it's it's kind of about like, you know, growing up with a kind of a lower income family and just being like kind of a low man on the totem pole. Uh, yeah, I just totally buy into all these sort of nostalgic stories that he tells. And uh, for whatever reason, at least for me, it's a very relatable, even though I was from a small family. But I could totally feel like I was in that house and kind of like stomping around on the floorboards like he talks about there. I don't know. I think the album is very nicely paced. It starts out strong. It has that kind of that lull in the middle. And then it's pretty, pretty much days in that garage rock vein uh, for the last second half. Um yeah, I love it. I think it's definitely my favorite of their records. It's one I come back to the most. So yeah, the album is Elephant by the White Stripes. came out in 2003. If you haven't heard it in a while, I think it's uh, definitely worthy of going back and dusting off and giving it a few spins. Thank you, Andy. It was fun to dig into that. It really does have a lot more something, something than, than I gave it credit for at the time. So why don't you tell us what you think of these records out there, album nerds. Tell us what you're listening to also. You can email us, podcast at albumnerds.com. Once again, you can leave us that voicemail at 585 210 
2454. Word up. If you want to leave us do a solid leave us a review on Apple Podcasts we appreciate it you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Album Nerds uh, yeah if you want to leave us do us a donation that would be awesome if you have some costs for, to producing the show here you can go to albumnerds.com slash support to do so so we're going to be back with more albums more recommendations to talk about in a couple of weeks thank you so much for listening to the Album Nerds podcast catch you next time see ya